You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. I want to preach to you a message I've entitled The Third Person. The Third Person. Do you remember this Sunday a year ago? If you don't, I do, because I failed you. Last year on this day, we, Mount Carmel, recognized our high school and college graduates, and I appreciate the opportunity to honor that achievement. But later on that day, and you might remember this, Dr. Brian Shelton was coming to present his research on his book, The Quest for the Historical Apostles, that Sunday evening. And I got here early to let Dr. Shelton in to the church so that he can set up. And one of the very first things he asked me was, Josh, how was Pentecost Sunday? I didn't even address Pentecost Sunday. And if you're sitting there and you go, what's Pentecost Sunday? You're probably in good company. Don't feel bad. But, in my neglect, I I saw it as a microcosm or a little picture of what could be wrong with a lot of the Baptist world. When we want to talk about God, we have no problem talking about God as our Father and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this earth, lived a sinless life in perfect, faithful obedience to the Father went to that cross naked, shed his blood to make us right with God, to cleanse us from all our sin. God raised him from the dead. And we are here to proclaim victory that Christ has eternal life and can grant that to anyone who will turn from their sins and trust Christ as their Savior. But the minute we tell somebody about you need to be filled with the Spirit, things get a little sideways for Baptists. What do you mean by that? What's all involved in our relationship with the Holy Spirit? What is Pentecost Sunday? From the Old Testament, if you were to go and read and look up the word Pentecost, in the Old Testament, Pentecost is simply a Jewish harvest festival. It it happened seven weeks or 49 days plus one day, penti meaning 50, 50 days after the Passover feast, okay? So 50 days after the Jewish Passover feast, there was this harvest festival, this kind of this festival of first fruits where they brought the barley into the temple and to give thanks to God for what he had given to them. And also around this same time was the time when they would commemorate God giving his law at Mount Sinai. If you're Uh, familiar with the Ten Commandments, the way the story goes is after God delivered the people of Egypt, uh, the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery, he, He takes them out, they cross the Red Sea, kind of baptizing them into a new existence, a new nation, and they're at Sinai approximately 50 days after their deliverance. God comes down and establishes a covenant, an agreement with the nation of Israel. He goes, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, but here's the terms of that covenant. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. You'll have no other God before me. You'll make no graven image. 
So Pentecost, the Pentecost festival, looks back to when God gave His words to His people and also commemorates God giving the gifts and us offering the first fruits. And then you move into the New Testament and God does something even more amazing on Pentecost Sunday in the New Testament. And we find it in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it together. It says this, When the day of Pentecost, so we're remembering, we're thinking of this, when this Jewish festival came, 50 days after the Passover, and to toss some things together for you, Jesus was crucified on that Passover Friday, remember? So when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they, the church, those who had followed Jesus, were all together in one place. They were in an upper room. And suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. In the New Testament on Pentecost, the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior and God, poured out the Holy Spirit onto His followers, onto His disciples. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit granted the power that the church would need to obey the great commandment and the great commission. And in Romans 8.23, the Apostle Paul called the Holy Spirit the first fruits of what is to come. And if you think about this in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophets prophesy that when the Holy Spirit Spirit comes, he'll write the word of God or the law of God on our hearts. Pentecost in the New Testament is the first fruits, the first and you'll see it in a little while, the down payment of every promise that God has given to us as believers in Christ. He's the first one. The first promise of comfort to us that we experience when we go to follow Jesus. And also this, when He comes into our life, the power to love God and to be a witness for God also enters into our life. Everything we need for life and godliness, Jesus equips us with the moment we turn from our sin and trust Christ as our Savior. And He does it through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? And you just may want to write this down. The Holy Spirit, nothing to be afraid of per se, okay? He still is awesome and fearsome, but He wants a relationship with you. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He is God. And please don't think that the Father is the Son and the Son is the Spirit. They're three distinct persons, but they have absolute divinity. It's not shared. They're equal in divinity. To have the Holy Spirit indwelling you is the same or is similar to saying that Jesus indwells us or the Father indwells us, although they're separate persons, but they're unified in purpose and power. And what does the Holy Spirit do? When you turn from your sins and trust Christ as your Savior, and the Holy Spirit has a relationship with you, He begins to work in your life. What exactly 
has he done for you? Is he doing for you? And what will he do for you? And this is where it gets exciting because it talks about our hope. The first thing that we see that the Holy Spirit does for us, and it's something that he's already accomplished, but write this down, is that the Holy Spirit authored the Bible. The Holy Spirit authored, authored the Bible. Some of us are so desperate, and this is a good place to be, where we, have you ever cried out deep in your soul, I want a word from the Lord? And I do believe that the Holy Spirit still leads and directs in God's people. But I want you to recognize this. In case you were desiring the Holy Spirit to come down and with His finger write words on the wall for you to do in your life, you've got something better than that. You have this book. So I submit this to you with gentleness and respect. If you're saying, God, please speak to me. He has spoken. Open this book up. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21 says. Above all, he's speaking to Christians, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Here's what's happening. The prophet is not simply sitting back, analyzing the world, and makes assumptions about what God has done or might do. He's not doing that. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book has its origins in the mouth of God. That this is not just a a book written by the hand of man, but the actual words, phrases, concepts, and ideals come from God Himself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And we literally talk about the Holy Spirit as the holy pneuma or the holy breath of God. That ultimately the Holy Spirit is responsible for this book in your hand. That should excite you right there. Think about it. You're holding the very words of God in your hand. And it will sit there and it just shows our simple ignorance and neglect. God, speak to me. Do you see the irony? Do you see the irony? Speak to me, God. And yet our book lays flat on a nightstand. That, God's authored this Bible. Get into it. If you want to know more about what the Holy Spirit can do and will do in your life. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. That also means we desperately need to be in His book. The second thing that He has done for us and will do for us, the Holy Spirit gives us physical and spiritual life. The Holy Spirit gives us physical and spiritual life. Listen to Psalm 104, verses 29 through 30. And he's talking about God, the psalmist is. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away your breath, When you take away your spirit, they die, he's in reference to all creation, and return to the dust. When you send your breath, they are created and you renew the surface of the ground. Every living creature is animated because of the Holy Spirit. I need you to catch this. You may not have realized it. It happens so quietly almost invisibly, that when you breathed and woke up this morning, the Holy Spirit was the one responsible for you and for you to go, wake up, wake up. So whether you realize it or not, the Holy Spirit is involved in some way in your life, but He longs to do an even greater work in your life. He longs to regenerate you. 
See, right now, all of us are separated from God. If we've not turned from our sins, acknowledged that we're sinners deserving God's judgment, and then we receive Jesus Christ by faith that Jesus paid the price for our judgment, can cleanse us from every sin, and give us a relationship with God, then all of us, according to the Bible, were rebels, enemies, and dead in our sins against God. We are actually not spiritually alive. You're physically awake, but you're not spiritually awake. Well, who awakens us? Who gives us new life and new birth? The same Spirit that granted you physical life also grants you spiritual life. Listen to what it says in John 3, verses 5 through 6. A great teacher in Israel came to King Jesus and asked him, and notice this, Jesus answered, he says, Truly I tell you, Nicodemus, unless someone is born of water, that's generally in reference to those who've been born physically, we've all been born of water, and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot experience the reign of God, the rule of God in your life, and you don't have to anticipate going to heaven. You must be born again. That's what Jesus tells them. And Nicodemus looks at it from a fleshly, worldly perspective. He goes, how can I enter back into my mother's womb and come out again? Jesus goes, have they taught you anything? (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something heavenly. I'm talking about something spiritual. Is that while you're hearing the Word of God, the Holy Spirit can regenerate you, can give you a relationship with God right here in this moment. The Spirit of God does that. He can grant you new life and a relationship and eternity in heaven with God. How does He do it? Jesus goes on to explain in John 16 the three ways that the Holy Spirit works in the world. You may just want to write these down. The first thing that He does in the world is that He convicts all of us of sin. The word conviction simply means to point out the truth. See, I can here, here's the beautiful thing about preaching this morning, whether you recognized it or not. You're hearing from two preachers in this moment. You're seeing and hearing Josh on the outside, but here's what I trust. The Holy Spirit is preaching to you on the inside. He's pointing out the truth. He's going, lay, look, look. When he sits there, when Josh sits there and says, we're all sinners, the Holy Spirit takes his finger and he puts it on your nose. He goes, I mean you. I mean you. Every single one of us. All of us have sinned and continue to fall short of God's glorious standard of our life. The second thing that the Holy Spirit says, He convicts or points out righteousness. And here's the, the, the point. It's not that we are righteous. He shows us who is righteous. That is Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. That only Jesus can make us right with God and make the world right with God. You've got to go to Jesus. So he, he takes his finger off your nose and he points over there to Jesus. And then the third thing he does is he convicts the world of judgment. One day you will give an account to King Jesus with what you did with him. You're, giving the, you're getting the opportunity this morning to recognize your sin, turn from it, and trust Christ as your righteousness before God. But here's what the, the Scripture says in John 16, that the ruler of this world, Satan, wants to deceive you and said, you won't be held accountable for your sins. And so the Holy Spirit points at Satan and goes, and don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And if you'll continue to follow the Holy Spirit and what He's pointed out to you, He will grant you eternal life. And may I, may I point this out to you in Romans 8.11, and we saw it even today, a taste of it today in J.C.'s baptism. 
That when Jesus Christ died for our sins and he lay in that grave three days later, I want to tell you the actual person who animated him, who stood him back up, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Now imagine this, not only did the Holy Spirit give us this book, but the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus says, and I want to give that self-same Spirit to you. When the trumpet calls and Christ returns, you know what happens? It says the dead in Christ rise first. That spirit gets to working again. And that's not something that we have to wait on. I'll show you in a minute. We're not looking forward to someday when the Holy Spirit will fill us and raise us up. He's already started that work on the inside now. I'll explain it. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. The third thing... And we see it already alluding to it in Acts. But the third thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit unifies us. We live in a country and a nation that's divided by just about any kind of differences. Democrat, Republican, whether Trump's your president or not your president, whether you're from the South or the North, Whether you have this political position or that political position, whether you're rich or poor, black or white, male or female. And I've come to realize this. If we're ever going to be united, that unification is going to have to come somewhere from outside of humanity because we won't do it by ourselves. And what we found is that there, it's interesting, Adam's blood won't won't unite us, but Jesus' blood can. And notice what happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. Listen to what it says. The apostle Peter is trying to explain to an unbelieving world what happened when the Holy Spirit came down and gave them gave the church the ability to speak in tongues and foreigners were hearing the message of God in their own language. They, they go, what, what's up? What's happening? And listen to Peter's response. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in the Old Testament and will be in the last days a sign that Jesus is coming again, says God. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my Spirit on my servants in those days. Both men and women, they will prophesy. Generally, in the Old Testament, if God even indwelled a person, it was generally a man who did a specific task, like a kingly task or a general-type task. And once that task was completed, the Spirit withdrew until the next appointed time. The beauty of what God does in in the New Testament under those who have their faith in Jesus is that there is no distinction of persons. Slave or free, male or female, whether you're a preacher or you go, I'm just a member. No, you're not. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no distinction. And what unifies us ultimately is not something physical. It's not flesh and blood, but the Spirit of God. And every single one of you, the Holy Spirit has given a gift. Not just the gift of himself. He's the ultimate gift because he's the giver. But a giver comes and does what? Gives gifts. It's like when my mom and dad come and see Scotty. Scotty can't expect gifts. And when the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, you can expect 
gifts. Now, in case you wonder, He's not going to give you things just for your own selfish purposes and to build up your ministry and your kingdom. He wants to build up the church and the kingdom of God. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and then verse 21. It says, A manifestation, a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit has entered into your life to do something in your life that will benefit the people sitting around you. That's why we are desperate for you to be involved in your local church. Why? Not because we need your money. We want your spiritual gift. Your gift of encouragement, your gift of discernment, your gift of teaching, your gift of service. And together with the Spirit, we will benefit one another for the common good. Notice what 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. I need you to know this, if you're here this morning, I need you. And the person beside you needs you. You may feel worthless. That's not what my scripture says. You are needed and necessary here in this local church. And let me say this. Can eyes get upset with hands? And can members rub each other the wrong way? Absolutely. Ephesians 4.3 uh, tells us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I find this interesting. The Spirit creates unity. It's the church's job to maintain it. And how do we maintain it? Not by arguing, but in love. We go with humility, preferring others above ourselves. And we go and say, look, whatever's offended you, I'm sorry. And let's put it behind us because the devil would want nothing more than to have a foothold in our church. And the Spirit has created unity. Let's not, let's, let's not let disunity erupt. And some of you right now, the reason, with gentleness and respect, and I have to examine my life as well, can the Spirit not do what He wants to do in this church because you refuse to be reconciled to another brother and sister under this roof? I need you to see that it is truly possible because the Spirit unifies us. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit empowers us the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness, serve, and pray. To witness, serve, and pray. Jesus said in Acts 1-8 that when the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. I love this. He doesn't go, you might be. It'd be alright if you did. One of the sure signs that... We know Jesus and that Jesus is living in us as we can't help but be empowered to tell other people about King Jesus. We have to give a testimony. We've got to talk about God's goodness and His righteousness and His peace. And I know, let me tell you, without the Holy Spirit, the prospect of talking about spiritual or religious things in our postmodern culture is frightening. How dare you claim to know the truth and that it has moral ascendancy over what I say and value. The only person that can put steel on the insides and prop you up to speak the truth of God with the love of God is the Holy Spirit. And in case you ever wondered, the apostles got scared. And you know what they did in response? They fell to their knees and said, God, fill us again, fill us again, fill us again. And they went out and they were bold with the gospel. 
The other thing, you can see this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through, 10 through 11, and I've already made reference to it, is that all of the gifts that Jesus gives through the power of the Holy Spirit fall into two categories. They're either speaking gifts or serving gifts, and I hate to say that they're somehow antithetical. Either God has given you the ability, the supernatural ability to speak His Word for the benefit of the church, or He has given you the supernatural ability to serve the church. And Paul ultimately, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter ultimately wants you to know this. Whatever the gift is, if you're speaking the Word of God, speak it like you're speaking God's Word. All right? Don't be tentative. Speak it with God's authority. And then he says this, and if, you're, and if you're serving, you need to be serving like you're doing it with God's strength. It's not lazy or lackadaisical or if nobody else will take the spot, I'll do it. Let me mind, remind you, who gave you that gift? The Spirit. It's not yours. We simply manage it. And we'll give an account to how we use that gift in our life. So let's serve with the strength of God and speak the Word of God. And then this is the one that is such a great comfort to me. Have you ever been in a quiet place and you've set aside time to pray and you just simply don't know what to say? You know there's a need in your heart and soul and your mind can't find the word to point to and say that's what it is that I need. And I don't mean something selfish. I don't mean something that only uh, causes you delight, but something that God would delight in or even would be the delight of other saints. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 26. It says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Here's a thing that you go, I may not be some great prayer warrior. Now please understand, I do think you need to take time to pray. But there are times when you can get quiet and alone and you just go, God, I don't know what to tell you today. And what you can rest assured as you're on your knees is that the Spirit of God is hovering over you, expressing things you can never put into words. And so if you're struggling to pray, at least posture yourself to pray and trust the Spirit to, do, to give God the best interpretation of what's on your heart. He's for you. He's not against you. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. The fifth thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit purifies us. He purifies us or He makes us holy. He makes us Christ-like. He makes us into the people that God longs for us to be. Listen to these two passages. Romans 8.13 says this, Because if you live according to the flesh, and when Paul talks about the flesh generally in these terms, he's talking about if you just lived according to your own passions and desires, how you feel and what your wishes are, he says you're going to die. If you live your life for yourself, your wishes and the world, it ends in death, separation from the love of God. But the Spirit will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. When the Spirit of God comes into your life, He'll, He'll circle those desires that are not in tune with the Word and the will of God and He'll make it His objective to go, I'm going to get rid of them. 
Listen to what Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit, spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. A sure sign when I've met a Christian is there is a conflict in their lives. See, when the Spirit of God is not there, you have no reason to stop your internal and outward sinning against the holy God unless it might result in bad consequences for you. But when the Spirit of God lives inside of you and you have a relationship with Him, there is no anxiety, there is no shame, there is no guilt that is like when you know you've displeased the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean it that it can't be forgiven. But when you know you're a part of a lifestyle or a sin that God, can't, God cannot nod and smile in approval. And so there's a conflict for Christians. You'll live in this conflict all the way until you breathe your last. What does it look like? What are some of the manifestations of living in the flesh? Galatians 5, 19 through 26 helps us. He says they're obvious. Let me tell you how a person, if you want to know if you're living according to the flesh, he says this, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then I love how he finishes it, and anything similar. He says anything that looks like that, he says that doesn't come from God. That doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. That comes from our selfish nature. He says, but what does a person look like? What's the temperaments of a person? What's the observable difference? The visible difference in a person who's filled and follows the Holy Spirit. He goes, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. He says, I don't know if you checked your Bible, but there's no law against these things. <laughs> he says, what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in your life, He wants to change you. You may sit there and go and say, well, I'm not a loving person. You're not, but the Holy Spirit is, and He can change you. You say, I'm not a peaceful person. I'm filled with anxiety. Oh, I know. I understand. That's how I am. But the Holy Spirit's not, and He's changing me. He's working on me. He's putting that war against my flesh, and He's going to make me different. And the victory is secure, ladies and gentlemen. It's done. It's just a matter of time. Number six. The Holy Spirit teaches us, teaches us. Let me just go ahead and share what Jesus gives us in John 14 and in John 16. Jesus tells His disciples that He tells them some bad things are about to happen and they're not able to apprehend the significance of them. He's, he's told them He's going to Jerusalem to die. He's even told them and alluded to His resurrection. He's prophesied about, about it. You tear this temple down, in three days I'll build it up. And, the, and if you've read the Gospels at all, the disciples sit there and go, huh? I mean, even Jesus goes, he goes I'm going to the Father. He's talking about going to be back in heaven with His Father. And He goes, well, what's the way? And Jesus even says in John 14, have you been with me for three years and you still don't know? He goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They go, well, show us the Father. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father like Son. If you want to know God, know Jesus. 
And so there are certain things where we're not able to make the connection. Now, let's don't be mean too mean to the disciples because have you ever sat in front of this book and went, huh? <laughs> I need you to know this in case you're wondering, like, does a seminary degree fix that? Every Monday morning, I open my Bible and go, huh? But here's the difference. Praise God, it's the truth. But here's the difference in what we have to rest in God's promise is that the Holy Spirit... Remember, who wrote this book? You know what's so great? Isn't it awesome that if you had a question about a book and if you had the author there, I think he can tell you what he meant by it. That's the beauty. When the Spirit of God indwells your life, you go, I don't know what this means. I think we give up too soon, ladies and gentlemen. We don't pray, we don't meditate, we don't brood over the text and just say, Spirit... Teach me what you're saying here. Teach me. Jesus said he would guide us into all truth and he will not be independent of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will make much of Jesus through the word. There's nothing that the Spirit of God will teach you that, go, that the apostles go, that's not what I said. Because why? He inspired them as well. If you struggle to read your Bible, and we all do by ourselves, I, need, I would encourage you to be disciplined to pray and meditate and ask the Spirit to help you understand it. Listen to what Ephesians 1.17 says. This is this. He says, this is Paul praying. In case you wondered, should we pray for the Holy Spirit to help us understand this book? Listen. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. I don't know about you, but that excites me to pray, saying, Spirit, let me see the riches of your Word. They seem inexhaustible and infinite. You'll never squeeze this book dry. And if you have, I can say this most assuredly, that you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number seven, number seven. The Holy Spirit guides and directs us. Now, everything, catch, catch what I, I'm saying here. Everything we need to be the men or women of God to be completely fit and perfect to become that person is contained in this word. But I also want you to see in Scripture there are instances where the Holy Spirit communicates to people to do specific things. And, and usually the way I see this is He's not going to reveal any new revelation or doctrine about God, but He will tell you to get up and go do something. Okay? And what I mean by that is more about this. The, the, the Holy Spirit may not reveal anything new about God, but He can't apply the Scriptures for you to go do something new. Let me give you an example. In Acts 13.2, while the church and the elders were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit, whether it's audible, we don't know, but was able to communicate to the church, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. They had a, the Holy Spirit had a specific time and place when the Apostle Paul and his good friend Barnabas were to depart and fulfill their God-given calling. And the Holy Spirit made it clear to the church, now is the time. 
Look at this. In Acts 16, 6 through 7, I find this amazing. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow or the Holy Spirit forbidden them to go into particular areas. Now, you just, now think about this. This is kind of conflicting on the face of it. Jesus says, go into all the world. And yet the Holy Spirit goes, not right now in this place. That's interesting. And I think it goes back to Acts, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Don't cast your pearls before swan. This is, this is not an effective door of ministry at this time. Now look, look, we have to make sure we've heard from God. Right? And then in Acts 20, verses 22 through 23, Paul says he was compelled to go to Jerusalem known by the Holy Spirit, knowing that if he goes to Jerusalem, he would be arrested. So please don't think, sometimes we think, well, the Holy Spirit leads and directs us to success. No. If you believe success to be to do the will of God, then yes. So that may be accomplishing something great like a missionary trip. But he could also close the door and go, not now. And he could actually say, go now, but that's the end. And so he will apply, he will lead and direct you. I always thought it was stupid. I'll go ahead and be honest. Why are we asking the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct? Isn't that his job? And I think what we're saying is this. We're submitting, saying, Holy Spirit, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it, no matter how amazing or awesome and terrifying it is. To be where you want me to be, when you want me to be, doing what you want me to do is the best thing for my life. So pray that the Spirit would lead and direct you. Number eight, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of salvation, or the Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation. I love this. Sometimes I give objective test, objective test, about whether a person is saved or not. Because somebody will come to me, Josh, I don't know if I'm saved. And I first kind of do a doctrinal test. Well, do you acknowledge that you're a sinner? Yeah. Have you repented of your sin? For instance, you're not living with this attitude that sin is acceptable, but by God's help, you want to run from it and live a life of purity and holiness. Yeah. Have you trusted Christ alone to forgive you of your sin, that only His crucifixion, His resurrection, and His exaltation, He sits at the right hand of God the Father to pray for you? Do you believe that God hears your thoughts and whispers now? Yeah. Well, let's look at your life. Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control? Well, yeah. And what's amazing, I can go through all those objective things, tangible things, visible things, things that I can either hear you say or see you do, and yet there's also one element that I can't quite speak to for you. But there's also a subjective personal witness. Listen to this. This is what Romans, uh, excuse me, Galatians 4, 6 says, and because you are His sons, if you're a part of the family of God, you're His sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And here's one way, and, and it sounds emotional, but Jesus has our heart and our affections too. But do you feel a love for God as your Father? Do you go, that's, that's the God of the universe, as transcendent and infinitely power and wise as He is, with the blood of Jesus, I feel confident to call him daddy. You say, what makes a man do that? Only the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings that infinite into intimacy. That's my daddy. That's my father. He's a good father. 
Romans 9, uh, 8, 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Do, can, can I just say it while I, while I believe it is? Do you feel like you're one of God's children? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Spirit. So what? So what? Can I tell you at least the dangers real quick? So you say, the Holy Spirit can do some amazing things. Well, let's just talk about a minute. What happens if we don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit? Write this down. We can resist, grieve, and quench the Holy Spirit. We can resist, grieve, and quench the Holy Spirit. In Acts 7.51, after the, the Apostle Paul spoke the gospel that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and died for people's sins, the people resisted him. Didn't want to hear the message. And he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts. And what he's in reference to, he says, you're Jews, you're Jews, you're the people of God. He says, but you're not really of Israel. True Israel knows their Messiah. He says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. Please understand this. The unpardonable, unforgivable sin is to resist the Spirit of God in the proclamation of the gospel. If you resist the Spirit's conviction that you're a sinner and you need Jesus, there is no other way out. That is the way the Spirit saves you. Will you accept His offer today and not resist Him? But when you're a believer, you can also grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. I love to talk about forgiveness and freedom, but it is possible with just a simple word out of a believer's mouth, the Holy Spirit looks on it in sorrow. Because I know, I know better than that. You know better than that. I live in you. You don't have to say that. You don't have to feel that way. And I'm not trying to amount, I don't want you to think that this shame or guilt is unforgivable. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, according to 1 John 1.9. But I do want you to know this, it is possible to displease the Spirit of God. Where he looks and goes, I can't bless your lifestyle, I can't bless your actions, I can't bless your thoughts and your affections, I can't bless the words that are coming out of your mouth. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, I like how the Christian Standard Bible interprets it. He says, don't stifle the Spirit. Don't quench Him. The Spirit of God wants to set our lives ablaze for God, for us to burn brightly for Him. And let's just be honest, we can make decisions, take actions, make choices where we just suppress the Spirit, going, I don't want to do that. And what's interesting is there'll come a day when we desire... We desire for the Spirit to do something incredible in our life, and yet we've, ha- we've disciplined, we've made it a habit of, of just quenching Him. So what should we do now? If you're an unbeliever, the gospel has been crank- proclaimed to you today, I want to encourage you to believe Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. Believe and receive. 
I want you to know that this relationship that I'm talking about can be yours today. You don't have to wait any longer. Will you turn from your sins and give your life to Christ? But then for those who already know Him, will you follow and be filled with the Holy Spirit? Follow Him. Obey His Word. Obey His Book. Obey His impressions, His promptings, His communications with you. The desires, these new desires He wants to do in your life. Let them grow. And when you're, listen to me, in case you you forget, none of us are perfect. Every day we need the Spirit of God to put us up on our feet, not just physically but spiritually, to walk in a way that pleases Him. We desperately need God. If you're waiting for the day when you don't have to pray, God, I'm good, I've got it today, that day doesn't ever come for the Christian. But the Christian's constantly saying, God, fill me up. I'm empty again. It's me again. I messed up again. I'm afraid again. I'm timid again. And the Spirit goes, I'm ready again. I'm ready again. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.